Okay, uh, welcome everyone to another episode of Pat's Uncovered, and essentially a podcast where I get to talk to people about their lives, and I just get to be nosy and find out exactly how they got to where they did. I find that kind of stuff really interesting. It's also really motivating just hearing people's lives and how they've managed to pivot different things. And today we've got a fabulous guest for you. I've got Sally Grace with me, and I'll let her do her own introductions. And it's just, oh, there's too much to cover for me. Hi everyone, I'm Sally Grace. Um, I'm a data scientist at a company called Whisper, which is based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, So I train machine learning and AI models um, to help sort of improve their product features. But I come from a background which is a little bit different in that I was a neuroscientist up until pre-pandemic, so March 2020. And it's actually really interesting. I mean, I had another guest on earlier on. Um, she was a ballet dancer, like Juilliard trained ballet dancer. And then the pandemic hit and she's like, what do I do with my life? Like, what do I actually want to do? And she kind of pivoted into AI as well. I feel like lockdown really was that kind of time for a lot of people to make those little changes. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was actually a, um, a concept in academia that I came across in just by trolling Twitter through my PhD, and it's called an academic escape plan. Um, and so I had always flirted with the idea of becoming a data scientist throughout my PhD, and uh, that was always my academic escape plan. So you can look at, look it up by, I think it's like actually a hashtag. Um, and people discuss what their escape plan is from academia. So basically, once the pandemic hit, I decided to hit play on that escape plan. I love it. It was ready to go. This is it. Oh, God. Yeah. I've got a friend who is literally doing a PhD as well, um, and she's, she's been on the podcast. <laughs> I think she was kind of talking about it. I mean, I've been trying to get her to move to Australia. I'm like, come here. Like, you can be a data scientist in no time. You're so much better than I am at my job. Like, I will get you here. Like, I think I kept joking about when I moved to Australia. I was like, I don't need to make new friends, really. I could just migrate all of them. This is perfect. It's Australia. Every Irish person wants to be here. It's ideal. <laughs> Yeah, and I've I've heard you move in packs as well, like the Irish, the Irish and the Scottish. (laughs) It's like they tend to like move around in groups. Yeah, we really do. And I need my group, so I'm okay with this. I'm just going to get everyone out here at this stage. (laughs) Yeah. But look, we'll dive straight in. Um, Take us back to kind of high school times. Um, What was kind of the decisions going through in picking a degree? And because you went to degree and you did a bachelor's of science. So what was happening around that time? Um, Yeah, so in high school, I was really interested in biology. I was very passionate about it. Ever since as far back as I can remember, I was super interested in biology. And then I had good scores in it. And then also, um, I started doing year 11 and 12 psychology. And I was super interested in that in my VCE. And so I decided to do a degree that married the two together. So I ended up doing Uh, or applying for a double degree in psychology and psychophysiology. Uh, So psychophysiology is like electrical sort of measurements of the brain, but the degree that actually at Swinburne University is called cognitive neuroscience now, I'm pretty sure. They changed it a couple of years ago, but it pretty much started off basically as biomed in the first year or two, and then in the last year of that sort of half of the degree then went into the brain Uh, and biology and psychiatry and neuroscience. But it was basically understanding the human body. I really, really loved it. That was my first preference in I ended up getting it and I was super, super stoked. (laughs) And yeah, then 
Um, basically, I I guess the next steps of it were um, how I ended up in the further stages of the degree. I decided to do an honours year um, and I decided to do cognitive neuroscience instead of psychology in my yeah. So I was going to say, so what exactly is, like, I've heard, and I've heard this before, yeah. and I'm like, what is an honours year? Like, as in, how does that work? Because I think in Ireland, like, we had just a four-year degree, and that was your thing done, and yeah. you've graduated. Uh, but I think it's a little bit different, so if you want to just explain that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's actually a really good question. So in Australia, uh, you do a three-year undergraduate degree, or three to four years, depending on uh, how much course load you have and how you break up, how you do the subjects. But you then apply to do, it's almost like, I think over in sort of like Norway and the UK, it's almost like a mini master's over there. I'm not sure what the equivalent is, but basically half of your degree is a thesis that you do and the other half is by coursework that's specialising. So a psychology honours will get you into a master's program. Basically, it's a stepping stone into further education, generally speaking. Um, It's pretty competitive to get into the degrees. Um, I decided not to pursue psychology. I always, when I started uh, my degree, I had envisioned myself working in a hospital um, or a clinical setting. And then in my third year of university, I volunteered in a psychiatric ward in a hospital. And I started university when I was 17, actually. So I was super young. I was only 20 years old and I was volunteering in the psychiatric hospital. Um, and I would take people for people who are allowed a day pass. I would take them to Macca's <laughs> or I'd take them to the servo to get cigarettes or whatever it was that they wanted to get from the servo. So I would escort them or I'd help them do arts and crafts and things like that. But I actually ended up finding it quite full on. Um, and I was very aware of how young I was and I didn't think I was ready to take on people's psyches as a job. Um, mm. And then, it seems so big and important, doesn't it? And like, I think even when we were talking about it, like, yeah, this is so cool to me. And I was just like, you did psychology in year 10? I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, it was just not even a subject that we could have done. So it's just really interesting that you've kind of always had that around. That's super interesting that it's not an option over. I think like year 11 and 12 psychology is actually pretty common for people to do in Australia. It's really interesting. It just kind of covers off all the basic concepts of like fight or flight, the stress response, kind of all the fundamentals sort of, I think like cognitive biases and things like that that we have. So it's actually super interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd nearly kind of go back and just like do a course. I'm like, and especially I say this kind of coming in from the point of view of data, right? Like it's so important knowing these specific things to not make sure like to not have models that are doing incorrect things like modeling based on biases and other things like that like that whole ethics branch of things but I think a lot of it is dependent on exactly how people react and things like it's yeah sorry yeah it was a very big tangent here but it's just like really no. interesting that it's kind of always been such a big part and how important I mean and then it does play back into the age right you're like I'm only 20 like how am I really responsible for this Yeah. And I mean, that's not to say that I would have people's psyches in my hands at the age of 20 years old, like to actually go on and become a clinical psychologist is another, you know, like two years of coursework and then two years of supervised placement. And then that's provided that you get in. It's highly competitive. 
Um, but yeah, I just, I decided to do, I'd always, I really, really, really loved, um, the biology side of things, the cognitive neuroscience. Um, I decided I wanted to do brain imaging specifically. So I just went around and basically contacted all the potential supervisors for an honors project. That's how you go about it. Because like I said, it's like almost like a mini masters to do a thesis. So um, I decided to do to just go around and contact any supervisors at Swinburne University who had a neuroimaging component to their projects. Um, and I ended up getting in contact with this professor, Susan Russell, and she's still a really great friend of mine. We're still very close and talk semi-frequently, not as frequently as I would like, actually. Um, it's just, life just gets busy. <laughs> um, but she had this imaging data set using the fMRI that's at Swinburne University um, of people with body dysmorphic disorder. And so what they'd done, it's a clinical psychiatric illness um, where people tend to uh, perceive themselves as different to what they are and get highly distressed by it. Um, and so I, she had that data set and she needed someone to analyze the data. And I was like, yeah, this is it. This is my chance to get my hands dirty with some neuroimaging analysis. Um, up until this point, actually, it's really interesting because I had never been a very sort of technical person. I was good at maths, but I'd never really saw myself as being like a computer nerd or, um, you know, that like archetype. I'd always done like gaming in high school and, you know, had the HTML MySpace thing. <laughs> That's like about my like soiree with coding up until that point. I was always yeah. a lot more into sort of verbal learning and biology. Um, I didn't really understand at the time what I was getting myself in for diving into neuroimaging. Um, but yeah, so I ended up getting into that um, program, the Cognitive Neuroscience Honours, um, and doing the project with Susan. And I absolutely loved it. It was like everything just clicked into place for me. Like the statistics, I didn't enjoy statistics in undergraduate university, to be completely honest with you, just the way that it's taught and SPSS and... Um... I, I mean, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> And I say this as someone who did a degree in statistics. Like, it was, was, I mean, it's a financial maths degree, which is just actuarial science, which is literally, I mean, predicting the mortality rates of people, which is all statistics, right? And I mean, it pained me, it really did. Um, I never just got it. Like, everyone else in my course seemed to. And yeah. I think that was the worst part, wasn't it? Where it was just like, I'd see them we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. This is normal. This is guessing. Like all these like distributed, like, what is it? What? Like, no, this does not yeah. equate. <laughs> Feels, honestly. Um, and then I guess once I had a project to apply the analysis to, and I understood the bigger picture and I understood the hypothesis and the question that I was yeah. testing. And I had, I, I understood the outcomes that I wanted to measure um, it just all fell into place and I just I lo- just loved it and statistics just clicked for me because like I said the honours year half of it was coursework and we had to do like statistics subjects I had to do like clinical psychology assessment subjects because it was sort of cognitive neuroscience is almost like um, understanding sort of psychology and the brain so it's almost like what I was personally interested in is um, how are our psychological processes born from biology, basically. 
So understanding the biology, what's going on inside the body and the mind that gives rise to how we think and feel and behave. Um, And so, yeah, so I was just like, this is the best. And then uh, had a really, I made some really good friends in that year who are still really good friends to this day. And um, then I got offered to do a PhD with the same supervisor and just snapped it up. So I kind of just fell into it really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the PhD was in body dysmorphic disorder as well. Uh, but I did a clinical trial that I sort of set up and got ethics approval for and everything where I administered a brain hormone called oxytocin to people with body dysmorphic disorder, uh, and measured their brains on and off the oxytocin and then looked at how the brain connected as a network and the activation of the brain on and off the oxytocin. Um, the hypothesis was that it's meant to increase your emotion perception and decrease your anxiety, which is um, some, some issues that people with body dysmorphic disorder have in the literature um, or like that I derived from the literature. Um, so that was my hypothesis that I tested. But how I really ended up in tech is that I wait, didn't... wait, no, sorry, you need to go back. I want to hear what the results were. Like, sorry. They were, the oxy... they... no, 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 it's more, I'm like, I'm just intrigued. I'm like, did the um, oxytocin stuff work? Like, what yeah. the hypothesis? Like, how did that go? Yeah, um, so basically what I found was um, the, there's different paths in the brain that visual information is sort of sent down to process sort of holistic information and then detailed spatial information. Um, And I found that the detailed sort of information, which is in the temporal lobe, which is like along here, um, they were hyperactivating those pathways. But then on top of that, so that means that they've got a preference for detailed visual processing. Um, So what I did was, I should circle back, what I did was I showed people with uh, body dysmorphic disorder in an MRI scanner, just pictures of emotional faces. Um, and then looked at their brain activation. It's a very classic, it's, they're called the Ekman faces. Anybody in psychology and neuroscience pretty much knows them. They're these really awful um, black and white old, like old images of uh, just standard people from like the 60s, I'm pretty sure. Um, and they're actors and they're showing their acting emotional expressions. So like happy, sad, angry. Um, But the really interesting thing is if you show these uh, emotional faces in this consistent way, uh, in fMRI it's called a block design, it really super highly activates certain regions of the brain. Um, And this has been really, really tried and tested in the literature for decades. So basically, or since MRI was around basically, um, but those faces were used before then. Um, But it reliably activates this region of the brain called the amygdala. So obviously it's activating your visual pathways because you're looking at visual images, uh, but they're emotional faces. So they activate this part of the brain called the amygdala. Um, And the amygdala, have you heard of it? I remember from year 12 biology. So I know the term and I know it does something in my brain, but I've forgotten the functionalities of it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the amygdala is this part of the brain. It's the size of an almond, actually, and it's right in the middle of your brain. You've got two of them, a left one and a right one. Um, and it's part of what people often refer to as the mammalian brain. Um, but it's your, it's in neuroscience, it's called the limbic system. 
And so the amygdala is almost like the um, emotion detector of the brain. And it's a, a part of the brain that's used to sort of gauge responses to sort of the salience of things in the environment. So um, if you see, say, and it's, has a huge role in the fear response as well. So if you see uh, um, like a lion coming towards you back in the day, um, your amygdala will activate and then it's going to cause this fight or flight response. Um, but in people with psychi like psychiatric illnesses, so for anxiety, um, because they've got that, that fight or flight response constantly happening, they tend to have overactivation of the amygdala. Um, so... It's one of the parts of the brain that's often studied in a lot of psychiatric illnesses. Yeah. That is very cool. So yeah. I mean, so it was a case of like the whole study was around kind of just what parts were lighting up and where the over like, so what, how oxytocin was impacting how deeply they were flaring up, I guess. Is that the right term? I'm not even sure what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> um, so actually the thing that's interesting about oxytocin is most of the receptors in the brain uh, for oxytocin, like 80 to 90% of the receptors in your entire body are located within the amygdala. Um, and so you can, there's a lot of research, which my, one of my supervisors in my PhD had done, um, and some other people in Germany who I've collaborated with, where if you give people, uh, oxytocin, it can change the way the amygdala responds to certain cues in the environment. Um, yeah, so my supervisor had done a study in social anxiety. So you can give people with social anxiety oxytocin and it'll bring the activation of the amygdala down to the level of a normal person or a healthy, I shouldn't say normal, sorry, um, <laughs> yeah. of, a, of a healthy control person that is free of psychiatric illness. Oh, that is, sorry, that was a very like quick little foray into neuroscience and psychology and I loved it. <laughs> so yeah. cool. It's very, it's just interesting and I think it really is, oh, I mean, it's always been an interest of mine, just kind of like how do people, like how it all works and stuff, right? The brain is just, oh my God, so much going on in there. But no, that was great. Sorry. Uh, I'll let you go back off the tangent. Like I think you were about to be like, okay, so this is how I actually got into tech having done this. I'll let you get back onto the track. <laughs> No, no, it's totally fine. Like, it's super interesting. And the funny thing about the brain is the more you know, the less you know. Um, yep. And I think that that is true of a lot of a lot of careers. And I'm finding that in tech as well. Um, but it's just like you do, you study it for years in undergrad and then, um, you know, you do a whole thesis and then you realise, like, you only know this like tiny, tiny, tiny little element of how the brain works, really. And it's just becomes it's just there's just never enough that you can know and that's what I love about that field of, of research <clears throat> it's very look I hate this word eloquently look I literally don't know how which way it goes do you know when they say some words and you can't remember which is the right way of saying it and I can never remember it's like eloquently yes that sounds right eloquently put I don't know why I did this to myself I could have just said <laughs> that was really well put that could have been that anyway <laughs> But it's a really good comparison because, um, I mean, I started into tech, right? Where zero technical stuff, right? I mean, I did the maths and I did the statistics and we did the, SP like we did SPSS and R and like a little bit here and there. So I knew how to use programming languages and I could understand them in generically. Very, I'm like, I can read code and I can generically figure out what it means. Um, but then like actually diving in and I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And you start into it and you're like, oh, this is okay, better, better, better. The more you find out, you're like, no, this is an abyss 
of things and I can yes. never know this <laughs> yeah like, especially with like things like machine learning you're like oh what am I staring into this is a and the pace here. the pace of the development of things it's like you get off the tools for one day and then it's just already moved 20 years into the future <laughs> you're like um when did we uh discover this like when did we make this okay and normal to be doing like i don't understand can we go back to the times where it was like two gigabytes of ram is all we had like i mean yeah. how, anyway god <laughs> sorry i was watching this and the whole nasa stuff at the moment and like how did we make this happen but honestly so you're doing the phd and you're doing the neuroimaging and yeah a little bit more of the analyses and stuff and you're kind yeah. of digging into that kind of data sciencey world and you're creating that um what did you call it the the academic escape plan is that what it was so is this where it's kind of coming into play yeah so uh initially we used matlab um which is not the funnest sort of ide or language to use it's not the most intuitive in the world so um a a lot of the uh stock standard or the best gold standard uh at that time uh neuroimaging analysis tools there's this one called spm and that was written by these really smart people in matlab so basically i had to to start to import the brain images i had to start learning matlab And then also um, a lot of the time you're running the analysis on supercomputers, um, which are based like I was using one in particular that's based at Monash University. So you've got to use some sort of like Unix scripting. And so I just sort of fallen into this world where I was starting to play around with coding just because I had to. Um, And then I was doing linear mixed effect models and they are just pretty much impossible. Well, they're very hard to do in SPSS. I mean, I've never even heard of this, so I'm just like, oh, okay, whole <laughs> new world. Um, and so for my thesis, and it was it's funny the way that it happened because there's actually this oxytocin researcher um, called Dan Quintana. He's based at the University of Oslo, um, but he did all these really cool uh, into like these really cool videos on YouTube. He's got his own podcast actually about academia called Everything Hurts, but um, shout out to Dan. Um, But he did all these really cool explainer videos on how to run analyses in R. And so I started using R and just fell in love with (laughs) ggplot2 mainly. Um, And just really like it just was intuitive and made sense. And I understood because in SPSS it's like, you're just pressing buttons and you don't really understand. Whereas in R, you're forced to have to understand how you're setting up your models yeah. um, and the steps that you go through. And so through that, I just started coding more and more and more. Um, and so I just eventually was like, oh, I actually really enjoy this. And um, I never thought that I would be there. And then um, yeah, I guess it's just sort of something that I started eventually using more and more and more and doing online tutorials and I had no formal training whatsoever. I still feel like such a noob to this day. <laughs> no, and I think there is a lot to be said, I think, for not having that formal education just because it kind of just forces you to figure it like you have to get it done, right? It's like I need to get from X to Y and I have to get this answer at the end of it. I'll get it. And then it's like, okay, I've gotten a solution working. This is definitely not how it is actually meant to be done. Now let me go back and like, that's literally how I've learned how to code. Like, especially because, so yeah, I knew a little bit of R from college. Like we did the regression and like the time series, like the basic kind of statistical stuff in it. 
And then I came and they're like, oh, actually in industry, R is nothing. We just use Python. And I was like, ah, <laughs> yeah, I <know>. what a <laughs> joke. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. And then I mean, like the first, I was like, oh, and SQL, that's this thing here. And I'm like, uh, you're saying jumbo to me. Like, what is that even, what are you saying? And they're like, oh, that's another language. And it's literally a case of like how, so I've now gotten to the cross, like Python and Spark and Scala, like all these, di- like Scala and PySpark and all these different languages and I'm just like and it literally is how it always happens is like okay there's sample code someone else has created this is what I need to do I'll do it and I'm like oh this and they're like actually this is a bit more optimized I'm like cool I remember that now but it just I think and I only say that it's a little bit more interesting I think because I compare it to say colleagues and stuff who did the degrees in computer science and every one of them will say the exact same thing, right? They're like, oh my God, work. I've learned so much more in my actual job than I ever did in college because nothing was actually applied. It was like, yeah. here's the basics, off yeah. you go. And I think it's so true where college really just kind of teaches you how to learn yes. more so than any actual information. So it we're all in the same area really at the same time. <laughs> That's actually my favorite quote that even at a PhD level a PhD I think is not necessarily a degree in the content of what you're doing but the main skills you get in a PhD is learning how to learn it's like grit and pure determination like people who have a PhD it's like just that you haven't given up because most people want want to give up at several points believe me Um, and then also project management is another massive one Uh, and something that my colleagues have notice about a couple of the there's another PhD at um Whisper that was hired around the same time as me uh he's a product analyst and his name's Brian and um one of the product managers was saying that we both have really good presentation skills because in a PhD you have to present your thesis to every man and his dog so you just get over it (laughs) you just present and present and present yeah yeah and I think I mean and this kind of goes back to sorry. There's like I'm like realizing having oh this is what going to be episode eleven of the podcast. And there's really strong recurring themes, and most of them kind of are like networking is really really important. Go find the people. People will make everything happen for you. But the other thing is the transferable skills, right? People have multiple different careers and are able to make those switches and pivots just because they can leverage these skills that they've learned in other things and be like, no no no, I got this. I don't have experience yeah. directly, but. It's transferable I've got it it's fine and it's yep. really important like PhD is something that is so interesting in that sense of it's just so aligned to consulting like it's essentially yes. very similar to the whole thing like yeah. you're really trying to sell someone on your solution like it just is what exactly that thing well I've I've been meaning to write a blog post on um and I just I've got the shell of it in a google doc but basically on how the data science process to me is so similar to the research methodology process. You have a hypothesis, except in data science, it's a business question, right? Basically that you need to answer and then you have to go away and you have to sort of research the methods. So initially you look at the previous research, what like medium blogs are out there, you know, like what's what white papers are out there. You look on archive, it's like, what are the people doing to answer this same business question then you sort of formulate your methods of how you're going to do it and then you do experiments like you might use this model and the accuracy is this and then you test it against this other model and the accuracy is this and then you're comparing across them and 
um, then you decide, then you write up your results and then you have to present the results to the business and then get feedback. And um, it's very similar. Like I attack the same problems in the exact same way. That's actually a really good way of explaining exactly what a data science problem is and how people like how it works. Because like a lot of people understand that in the first place, right? I mean, so many stakeholders and stuff, they're like, AI, just give it, just give it to us. Just, just implement yeah. AI with it. Like, yeah. I Do love that you're enthusiastic stuff. about it, but also not how it works. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think that a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, I shouldn't say that a general statement, but seems like some people get confused between AI and AGI. Um, so that's artificial intelligence and artificial general intelligence. So uh, when you actually get down into the nitty gritty of AI, it's really just pattern recognition and um, a lot of labeling. And there's that um, Cassie, the lead sort of data person at Google. And she's just like, um, like, what is AI and machine learning? And she's like, labeling things, labeling all the things. <laughs> I'm like, like I'm just like... telling the machine the answer is what AI is, essentially, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it's like, I guess a lot of it as well is like managing expectations. It's like, no, we can't, we don't have artificial general intelligence. It's just like, you know, yeah, we're limited in what we can things do. that we can do. We'll yeah. make our lives easier and that's about it. It's essentially what a human can do, but just at a much larger scale. Yeah, exactly. That's ex- I mean, that's kind of how I put it down to. I'm like, I think it's becoming just a thing that you start having so many conversations with like different custom, like stakeholders and stuff trying to explain it. And you're like, nope, AI is literally what you can do in your brain. Just multiply by a thousand, essentially. Like, that's it. That's all we got for you. Yeah. But look... We, I feel like we're going to keep going on tangents here. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm kind sorry. of conscious of the time. So I want to go, no, no, no. And I like, I mean, I love the tangents on these things that happen because it's important. And it's, and I love it. It goes everywhere. But so you're doing the, so you were in the PhD, you were finished the PhD. I'm not too sure exactly where you got to before you decided yeah. to hit the button, get out. Yeah. Okay. So um, I actually finished my PhD and then um, spent a year kind of, I went on three huge overseas trips. I did some lab visits. The best thing about academia is um, there's part of it is like you go to conferences around the world and you can go visit, say, a lab in Germany and go stay there for three months and learn what they're doing there. Or I visited Dan in Oslo and did a presentation there. Um, And so I did that after the PhD because I just needed to kind of decompress for a year. I was still working part-time. Um, And then I got a postdoc with one of my PhD supervisors at Australian Catholic University. Um, So a postdoc is just like a postdoctorate position. It's a research fellow position, um, just where you're basically doing what you were doing in your PhD. So doing research, but you're getting paid a lot more to do it. And you don't have to write a thesis. So it's great. (laughs) The benefits of everything. The best part. (laughs) Um, and so I did that and I loved it. I love my team. I loved everything about it. Um, and that was just really like solidifying, um, a lot of the skills, but actually something, so I, I come across the concept on Twitter of one thing I must say, if the best thing for networking and just keeping up to date with all of these things is definitely like Twitter has been like the best, yeah. um, thing for me. But I decided to start flirting with the idea of an academic escape plan. My ex at the time was big into tech and he was like, you need to get into machine learning and AI with your skills. And I was like, 
okay at the time I didn't really like understand what it was I think I thought it was AGI as well probably this is years ago um and a friend a friend of a friend was a data science recruiter so I ended up going for a drink with him one afternoon and he was like you need to upskill in this you need to upskill in this you need to upskill in this mainly he just said python and sql and then cloud start familiarizing yourself with the concept of cloud so aws and google cloud um and that was super super like useful for me um so i would recommend anybody to do the same um and then i just started sort of upskilling and just started learning what all these different concepts were i got a medium subscription and just read like a ton of vlogs Um, and then basically a year went by and I didn't do anything about it. I was just kind of still just gathering information, researching. Uh, and then unfortunately the pandemic hit, um, and my university lost a fair bit of funding and a whole bunch of staff in my department got cut. We got all got made redundant. A big, huge armor bus just got cut off. It was pretty brutal. (laughs) Just walked in one day thinking, you know, I'm going to be doing this for the next three years, had all these long-term plans. And then it was March last year and yeah, lost my job, (laughs) which was pretty, pretty shocking. Um, And so I got a redundancy payout and then I was like, okay, this is the universe telling me I need to execute my escape plan, (laughs) pull the parachute, like get out now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so then it was very serendipitous, actually. So, oh, another thing that this recruiter, which I should mention, pre-pandemic times, uh, was to go to meetups, um, was what the recruiter said, was a really big one. Um, And so I started going to our meetups and machine women in machine learning and AI and just lurking and just absorbing this tech knowledge or these tech words that I had no idea it was such a foreign world to me um and my boss Fiona Milne was one of she runs the machine learning women in machine learning um and AI meetup group and I thought she was really cool so I just started following her um I really liked the way that she spoke and her sort of brand that she had to do with like you know ethics and AI and everything like that. She seemed very approachable. So I was just on LinkedIn one day, just randomly. Um, and I was literally in bed actually. And I'm just like laying dead, like looking, scrolling through social media. Um, and she had posted a post saying that she was looking for an associate data scientist to come on with her brand new team, um, and help build some cool models. And I was like, this is it. This is my opportunity. So I sent her a DM, I slid into her DMs um, and was like, hey, I like think that I'm this person that you're looking for. Like I'm an academic who's looking to get into industry. I just, I had no idea how, I was expecting to go on like a um, general assembly boot camp. That was my plan for the next six yeah. months sort of thing. Um, and then just, and I ended up getting the job with Fiona. Um so, I mean, I, I've got to hand it to your friend, the recruiter friend that you've got. Like, But like, those are literally the exact same things I would say in terms of like, I mean, people are like, well, how do I do it? I'm like, go to all the meetups, hit up the networking sites and like do the upskilling. And it's exactly the same things. And it 
it's literally I mean anyone looking for kind of that data science inspiration this this is it and find the right people to follow <laughs> I mean I, I absolutely adore yes. Fiona like she came on and did a session for us at Women in Code and God, like it's definitely one of like the best ones we had across the last year I'd say like it was such a oh, absolute lover you, everything you've said about her is very true <laughs> yeah yeah so I was very lucky and again just kind of fell into it like I'm, I wouldn't say I fell into it. That's probably actually underselling the work that I went through and actually just kind of just just being present, I think, was one thing and just being curious um, and, yeah, I guess just following, like you said, following the right people, um, showing interest and finding people, I think, that, like, align with your um, values and personality and interests is another really important thing so yeah yeah and I mean I, I say this all the time where I'm like I kind of fell into tech and I followed that immediately with <laughs> I hate saying it but that's what happened but I mean you literally spend a year preparing yourself to fall into it like it's very different right I think it's like you've like I mean same thing like I mean I did a four-year degree it's got to get myself into a position where I could fall into tech like it didn't just happen to anybody yeah. there is work that goes into it but I mean yes a little bit of it is that serendipitous moment of like and it all lined up perfectly <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah it was but I feel like it was it was a really good move I'm very happy it's been really cool we've now um built a team so when I started it was myself Fiona and we have a database engineer um Kim and so or database administrator and also an engineer um, and then since then we've got two data engineers we've got a machine learning engineer so we've got like the full sort of end-to-end um, sort of team going so uh, it's really awesome watching it grow and we've been building a data lake because the company that I work for is like been around since the dot-com age so a lot of their systems have been around since the dot-com age. So that's been, it's that classic data science trope that you read on every blog. It's like 80% of the work is like actually getting the data cleaned and into your hands. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's really funny. Like whenever, I I think almost every time I talk to any kind of person in data, really, we talk about these cliches and stuff and we end up, it's not even we talk about cliches. We talk about scenarios where we're actually doing things that are cliched because it's yeah. just so common like that is exactly how it works <laughs> that is the way data will hopefully not forever but it's gonna be how it works because everything's kind of all over the place and getting it all together is mainly the job half the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely um another thing that I really love about the machine learning and AI community is all of the memes like myself and the machine learning engineer just pretty much our Slack chat is like, there's like a little bit of work chat and then it's just like us in any work related context. It's just like, there's a meme for it. It's just the best. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, so when I was at Purple before, um, we had like multiple different, like like the data team was pretty active. Like we caught up very regularly and we made sure we were doing things. So I've just moved into a new like new company and a new role. And I was like, where the data team? Yeah. <laughs> Where's my um, team channels? Where am I going to just call and just talk random stuff about? And 
There wasn't, well, I mean, there was like teen channels and stuff that hadn't been talked in since 2018. And I was like, this ain't gonna do. Oh, I was no. like, now I'm like, I've literally got a teen's channel going and there's memes flowing in there. And I'm like, every week, I'm like, let's go, more of them. <laughs> this yeah. is perfect. Like, I mean, oh, that is like the greatest parts of like data science teams and stuff. Like, you've got people who are interested in the same things. Yeah. Like, generically, but all have like really different skill sets. Like you mentioned, your own team, like, it's all end to end, right? So everyone yeah. has their own little viewpoints and you kind of just yeah. join in and it's like, this is it this is what I wanted <laughs> yeah and yeah I like to envision us as like like a sort of like a pipeline or like a moving kind of like you've got the database that's storing the data and then you've got the data engineer that's like cleaning the data and getting it into the data scientist hands and then they get it and test and experiment with it and train models and then they hand that over to the machine learning engineer and then they do all these amazing things and put it into production and then they have to interact with the people on the front end. This is in like a software company I work for basically. Um, So that obviously this is particular to my company, but it's really awesome to have the full process. Yeah. And you learn so much more. Like, I mean, I say like you pick up all these little things, you're like, Oh, I actually randomly know all these different things now just because I've been around these people long enough to hear them talk about it, which is very handy. I'm not gonna lie, it works itself out. Look, oh my God, I think we've been going for ages, but I'm so glad we got to talk. And I think it's really fun. And this is where, so basically me and Sally kind of ended up getting in touch essentially because of a mutual friend who kind of listened to the podcast. Like, hey, I actually know someone that would be great. Here she is, chat. And I was like, yes, this saves me the hassle of like stalking, literally stalking people down and like messaging them like crazy people. I'm just like, hey, I think you're really cool. Please come talk to me. Is essentially what my messages are at times. Um, so I'm very glad that people are so, I mean, hey, if you're a listener and you know someone who's got a really cool different, like the most usual, like the career paths that we've heard about, the traditional paths, if you've got, a, or even for yourself, if you've got a really different one, please reach out. It makes my life so much easier. I want to hear from you. So I'm very glad, Sally, that you came on and chatted to us about everything from all the psychology stuff and the neuroscience and how it all works, uh, all the way into machine learning. I love it. It's like everything and everything I wanted to hear in one session. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been super fun. And thank you, Laura, for putting in us in touch. Again, Laura was somebody who we are internet friends. Like we only became friends through liking each other's posts on Twitter so yeah yeah I mean I think that's literally how I know her as well <laughs> it's like we're yeah. all just Twitter friends at this stage this is great I'm gonna try and get her onto the podcast too I'm just like Laura I think you're next let's go Please do. Um, yeah exactly oh this is it but look we might leave it off there thank you so much for your time um Pats and Covered will be back in two weeks with another episode maybe it'll be Laura I have no idea who it'll be yet I'm gonna go stalk some more people but in the meantime take care of yourselves and we'll see y'all soon